This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. And I want to give a special thank you to Jonathan Tindell and Tom Bondi, who both just made one-time contributions to the show. Tom writes, Dave, a few ducats in appreciation of the podcast. Thank you for introducing me to the writings of China Mieville and Philip K. Dick. So big thanks again to Jonathan Tindell and Tom Bondi, and to everyone else who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so now let's get to our show. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 456 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Our guest today is Dennis Lubay. He was the first artist hired at Origin Systems, where he created art for the classic Ultima and Wing Commander series of video games. He's also worked as an artist for Steve Jackson Games, Hero Games, King's Isle Entertainment, TKO Software, and Pixelmine Games. And we'll be speaking with him today about Andrea Cantado's new book, Through the Moongate, the story of Richard Garriott, Origin Systems, Inc., and Ultima, Part 2, from Wing Commander and Ultima 7 to Portalarium. And we previously discussed Part 1 of Through the Moongate back in Episode 426, so definitely check that out if you missed it. And now here's our interview with Dennis Lubay. All right, so we're here with Dennis Lubay. Welcome to the show. Hey, howdy. Okay, so I mentioned over email that my girlfriend Steph is doing an MFA at Texas State. And it says on Facebook that you went to Texas State. So I was just wondering what your experience was like there. Oh, uh, Southwest Texas State University. That's what it was called when I was there. Uh, oh, it was fine. I mean, I did my four years. Uh, I didn't get a degree or anything. Uh, took all the art courses I could, but they were trying to teach me how to be a, a gallery painter. And that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an illustrator. So what was it like uh, in San Marcos back then? Oh, it was great. I mean, the 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 uh, campus was all built on hills and uh, sometimes not the, the the best architectural choices here and there. They had a <laughs> uh, they had a uh, library that had you know upper story wings that couldn't support books, so it was weird. <laughs> You're saying it would it would fall the building would fall the building would collapse if they tried to put all the books on the outside wings yeah yeah <laughs> which was well, the original intent so <laughs> did that work yeah that seems like a pretty serious liability for a library yeah and so then I, you said uh, in an interview uh, you said that some of your I guess your first work appeared and you said quote a local rag there in San Marcos oh some yeah Star Wars oh gosh what was it called uh. I can't remember the name of it. It was a little free, you know, newspaper thing. And I did uh, some pencil portraits of the characters from Star Wars from from photographs. I discover that, you know, working from photographs, you can get you can easily get photographic realism. So, yeah. So then you said you said also that you ended up in Houston after that. Uh, yeah, I traveled to Houston to try and get a quote, a real job, unquote, and ended up working in a, uh, as a darkroom technician. 
uh, which, you know, was kind of dull, but it wasn't all bad because occasionally we'd get uh, negatives from NASA. And so I don't know, but I may have handled negatives from the moon. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But we got some. We got some negatives of the lunar surface and stuff taken from the lunar surface, and I, you know, printed printed up what they wanted printed up. And then, so then, what? Then you you came back to Austin after that? Yes, I wasn't. Uh, I, well, I came back to visit friends who wanted to take me to a SCA event, the Society for Creative Anachronism, and uh, I went to that. And strangely enough, Steve Jackson of Steve Jackson Games was the local baron. And so he was on his little barony throne, you know, uh, and people were paying their respects to him. And so my friends pushed me to uh, show him the cover, I, the, uh, the demon painting I did, of the demon coming out of the pentagram. And uh, Steve said, ooh, I want that for my uh, the Space Gamer magazine cover. And I said, okay. And it's like we executed the sale right there on the spot <laughs> for 180 bucks. That was my first professional sale. <laughs> so uh, if people don't know, could you just describe what an SCA event looks like? I mean, was he was dressed up as a, as a lord or something? Yes, uh, that dressed up in medieval garb, had a circlet around his, his head to indicate his status. And, uh, they, they had big tables set up and, uh, uh, as genuine medieval food as they could, you know, legally provide and stuff like <laughs> that. So <laughs> it was pretty cool. Everybody was dressed up in, in, uh, you know, me medieval regalia. And stuff. It was pretty neat. I had borrowed an outfit from my friends. Did you go to a lot of events like that? I went to a few. I was I was there for a while. It wasn't the best thing, of course. A lot of lot of politics and uh, infighting and stuff like that. But still, it was fun. But not fighting with uh, swords. You mean like fighting like with words? Oh I, yeah, yeah. I mean. You get a group like that, and there's going to be, you know, internal struggles and stuff like that. But, oh, sure, yeah, there was, you know, putting the armor on and whacking each other with rattan, <laughs> rattan weapons and stuff like that. Sure, that was cool. So what was Steve Jackson Games like at that time? Like, what was – was it in an office? Or? It was it was operating out of his house. And so I, I originally hired on as the typesetter – uh, kind of in-house artist. And, you know, as soon as they got our, and, and I was typesetting with a Selectric typewriter. That's the kind of typewriter that has the little insane golf ball thing with all the letters on it. That's, that's flying around, slapping the paper and stuff. And, <laughs> and, uh, boy, that was a, that was a heck of a challenge. And basically, <laughs> we'd, we'd cut out the, the, the paragraphs that we'd type up and we'd put, uh, we'd run them through a machine that would put wax on the back and then we'd paste them up onto, uh, 
onto uh, uh, heavier stock to be photographed. And so I've heard you say that then one day Richard Garriott came to visit Steve Jackson Games, right? So tell us about yes. that. Yes. Well, Richard was in the SCA, and so uh, he knew Steve Jackson. And so, uh, he, you know, his character's name was Shamano. And so he came to visit uh, Steve to show off his game that he was working on called Ultima One. Uh, or Ultima. He didn't know it was going to be one. <laughs> and... uh uh, when he came into Steve's house and was showing him the, the game, he saw the work I was doing for, for Steve and went, Ooh, I need an artist for the, for the cover. Uh, and so that's how I, uh, ended up, uh, contracting to do the, uh, being commissioned to do the cover for Ultima one. Uh, and, right on the spot, he had me do the startup screen for uh, for Ultima 1, which was a, an outline of a uh, heraldic dra- uh, lion. And uh, so he set up, he had an Apple IIe right there, and he set it up, and uh, he had an Apple II graphics tablet. And it was this big metal sheet metal thing with a uh, pen attached by a wire. The pen rattled. It was <laughs> not the best construction tolerances. And I traced off a heraldic dragon on the uh, on the graphics tablet. Thing was, the the power coming through the uh, the wall outlet was uneven was not clean and so the power spikes came through as actual spikes in the line i was trying to draw and so i'd constantly have to go back erase and draw and redraw the line hoping that another spike wouldn't occur in that moment (laughs) (laughs) so that was exciting Yeah. So I think I told you over email that I just read this book, uh, Through the Moon Gate, the story of Richard Garriott, Origin Systems, Inc., and Ultima Part 2 from uh-huh. Moon Commander and Ultima 7 to Portolarium uh, yeah. by Andrea Cantato. So a couple of the things I'm going to ask about are from that. Sure. And so so one thing um, is there's a quote in, in here where Richard mentions that Origin at the time was the only game developer or publisher in the entire central United States. And did you have any sense at the time, like that this was a great scene that you were, you know, how lucky it was that there was like Origin and Steve Jackson games and, and all these things in this, you know, one little city where you were, where you were living? Yeah, it was weird. I mean, uh, we referred to Steve Jackson games at that time as, you know, Steve Jackson University, <laughs> because basically you'd go there, you'd learn the craft of, you know, game design and 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 the the skills necessary to put together a game and then you'd go off and start your own gaming company or work <laughs> for someone else or something like that it was sort of a you know you'd have to go through Steve Jackson games to get in the gaming industry you know it was it was it, it felt like that and uh and the same thing held true for uh for origin in its early days, it was like, oh, and now it's Origin University. You go there to to <laughs> to know how to do computer games and stuff. 
So it was pretty wild. Uh, I did some early stuff. Well, there was a period where I wasn't working for Origin, but I was doing a lot of work for Richard Garriott, not as an employee, but as a contractor. And so I did the cover for, you know, Ultima One. I did the cover to Exodus. Um, uh, I think Ultima four i did the cover for that one as a as a contractor um you know uh, commissioned and uh, i also did some other stuff because he first put out his games through california pacific so yeah i did i did various covers for uh like uh caverns of callisto and apoloids and stuff like that for for richard and for california pacific so were you, if you were just a contractor, you weren't in, because Origin had an office, right? Um, they had an office in New Hampshire at that point. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so uh, when when we were doing the, the uh, illustrations, the manual illustrations for like Ultima 4, they flew me up there. And I did the manual illustrations. And then they flew me back. Luckily enough. So, so you were like sitting in an office somewhere in New Hampshire? Yes. The- when, I did, when I did those illustrations, yes. Because, you know, Ultima 4 was the first of the Ultima games that I played, and it still has some of the most ama- amazing packaging I've ever seen in a computer uh-huh. game. And I was just looking through the, um, you, know, the, you know, so it comes with these two booklets, and one is kind of like the history of Britannia, and one is, it looks like a spell book. It has this sort of leather right cover and everything and there are a lot of illustrations mm-hmm. in there yeah How pretty much almost to, almost all the different spells oh yeah that took like you know a week or so a lot of illustrations uh, i i i you know going there i knew i was going to have to turn out a lot of pictures real fast so i came up with a pretty good uh uh means of doing uh an assembly line to do the to do the pictures and I, I ripped the outfits out of uh, uh, the, the costumes that the people were wearing out of, you know, uh, period costume books and stuff. So, Yeah. I was going to ask you about the, the, um, the costumes because, you know, the sort of the norm in fantasy art, it seems to me at this time would be the sort of um, Frank Frazetta, Boris Vallejo kind of bodybuilders uh-huh. in skimpy outfits, both, both men and women. And um, looking through the the Ultima Four book, the characters are all you know they have realistic proportions, and all their uh, clothing and equipment is all very practical and everything. And, yeah. You know, and a lot of the outfits even look sort of um, you know, like they look like nuns' habits or like Old Testament prophets and <laughs> right, things like that. Right. Yeah, I wanted to do something different. Yeah, I wanted to give it a different feel, a different uh, 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 flavor. And that that held true for the for the computer graphics I did while I was at Origin. I mean, uh, I tried, you know, in games like uh, Knights of Legend, I tr- they had these little tableau scenes, and I would work on the Apple IIe version of that, and you had like you know, black, white, purple orange, green, and blue. I would have killed for yellow. <laughs> but um, 
uh, thing is, most people were handling it, were, were doing art in that uh, uh, system like they were doing a comic book. They'd do black outlines, and then they'd fill with a color. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm I'm going to paint with light. I'm going to... I'm I'm not going to have any outlines really. I'm going to have uh uh you know a, a a character against a background and just have you know light and shadow and stuff like that define the form and things and I thought that was pretty different. Well, I think it's so important too to setting the the tone of the game because the game has the in my in my memory it has such the sense of gravitas which you wouldn't have with the the chicks and chainmail kind of things. Yeah, yeah. And and also the the art in the actual game is basically just stick figures when you're talking about Ultima Four. So right. your entire concept of of who these characters are and what they look like and what the world looks like it, the the illustration is so important to that. Hmm. And and of course, you know, uh, Richard didn't have an objection because he'd been in the SCA. He knew what medieval warriors looked like, and they weren't the you know Frank Frazetta, super muscular things like that. So, yeah, it, it all it all worked. Yeah. So so I I loved those I love those interior line illustrations, and then just the covers that you painted for Ultimus Four and Five and Six are just some of my favorite pieces of art you know oh, I've ever you. seen. And so I want to just go through each of those. So, so uh-huh. Ultima Four, it's this um, man in a white robe at yeah. the coast with the waves crashing around him, holding up a glowing staff toward the sky. Right. Um, could you like what did Richard tell you? Like, what kind of directives did he give you? For that? Oh gosh, what did he want for that? Uh, he wanted somebody against an ocean. I I, I think, and. Uh, yeah, he definitely wanted the character facing away from the from the viewer so that you could then imagine your own face on the character. And uh but it it must have been as simple as, you know, a guy on a rock uh you know, facing the ocean. And so that's that's what I did. Because I always wondered if that that figure was meant to be the player character or if it was meant to be Lord British. Because as you say, the you're just seeing the back of the character's back of the figure's head. Oh, I had assumed it was the character, the player character. But you know, we really, ha- I, I really hadn't nailed down the look of the avatar or anything like that yet. I mean, I, you know, I, I drew a lot growing up. And so I feel like I, you know, like most um, art I look at, I, I can sort of imagine being able to do it if I worked hard enough at it. But this, this pose of this character on the Ultima 4 cover, mm-hmm. I just, I, I could never get that right. I don't think it just, it just looks like <laughs> such a difficult pose to draw. Like, was it or maybe? Uh, yeah, a bit. What was hard was uh, at that time, I was still, you know, I, I was early in my art career. I was still fighting with my materials. And, you know, it, 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 that cover wasn't everything I wanted it to be. You know, none of my covers are, but, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the wrinkles on the cloth and stuff. Boy, I'd do that totally different now and stuff. <laughs> so, 
I mean, I think it's great. Yeah, the, but the I mean, all the robes in the interior illustrations and then this robe on the cover as well just have so much detail, so much embroidery mm-hmm. and, and things. I mean, you were definitely uh, not taking the easy way out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, the pose, I'd I, I just drawn a lot of characters up to that <laughs> point. So, you know, I... I I, I kept hacking at it till it looked good. That's, <laughs> that's basically. But you were just drawing it freehand? Or yeah, you yeah, drawing of... it freehand. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed. Okay, so then Ultima 5, uh, there are two heroes, one dressed in red and one dressed in green in a dark forest right. facing off against yeah. these three black figures. Three and Shadow Lords. Black-robed yeah. figures. Uh-huh. So um, do you remember anything about how that piece came? Uh, Richard wanted a definite, you know, a cover with facing off against the Shadow Lords with Shamino having been shot by a, by a magical arrow, um, a magical bolt, uh, and he wanted that cover to have pathos. And so... Yeah, I went for, you know, that, that kind of, uh, stage lighting sort of look where the light was shining down on the guy with the arrow and the avatar and leaving the, the three figures in the dark in the, in the, in the background in the brooding forest. And, uh, my, uh, the the artist that set me on my career way back when I was like a little kid was Frank Frazetta. Long ago, I saw the cover for Conan the Adventurer. I was like, you know, 10 or 12. And I went, oh, that's what I want to do. I want to make pictures like that. And so, uh, so in my, in my nod to Frazetta, there's a there's a gnarled branch on that Ultima Five cover, and that's that's my nod to Frazetta. Thank you, you know, for for my career. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> I I never spoke to him, but it was like his his work inspired me. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I hadn't thought about it, but the way that Shamino is sort of curled or sort of lying at the by the leg of the Avatar is kind of like the way that. Frank Frazetta would have a, a woman. Yes, um, he goes sort of lying beside the. That's lady. right. He's 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 very much into the uh, you know, the the romance look, the the uh, the dramatic, uh, lighting and and pathos of the scene. Yeah, yeah, he's all that. I mean, one thing that, like, looking at it now, the the thing that really strikes me is just how beautifully the chainmail is painted, and so oh, you even see this you. sort of like. Um, you know, how to kind of bunching up around the, the back of the, the avatar's neck uh-huh. in a very, very realistic way. Is it hard? I would imagine it's hard to paint chain mail or. I hate chain mail and I have to <laughs> paint it a lot. So. <laughs> uh, it's so hard to get right. Oh, God. Yeah. Chain mail is my personal nemesis. So, yeah, definitely. Do you have any uh, any uh, tips and tricks for other artists who are trying to paint chain mail? Oh, don't try to do every link. <laughs> <laughs> it's that way lies madness. <laughs> it's it's find a way. Oh, God, um, I look at the way uh, Mike Mignola does chain mail in the Hellboy comics and stuff. Uh, he, he basically has it. You only see 
little slanted lines indicating individual links just at the at the edge of the light where it's going from light to shadow. And it's like, oh, man, that's an economy of line. And it just says uh, chain mail. And it's so easy. <laughs> it's like, damn, yeah, do that. <laughs> I guess that probably applies to a lot of art. If you can't draw something, just have it be in heavy shadow and then you don't have to worry about it. Yes, yes. Well, it it's weird. I mean, I, uh, I went to... Uh, I went on a round-the-world trip on my sabbatical when EA bought uh, bought Origin, and I visited the the Louvre in Paris, and I was looking at a at a uh, a painting, and the hand on one of the one of the characters in this classical painting, you know, looked weird, and I I I, I got up close and I studied it, and I could see where the artist had tried it, said, no, that sucks, had painted over it, tried to do the hand again. No, that sucks. He probably painted over it again, then did another hand, and he wasn't satisfied, but he said, ah, screw it. It's good enough. (laughs) (laughs) And so I went, oh, well, these big medieval painters, these these classical painters, they weren't such different from me. (laughs) They fought with their materials, too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then the Ultima 6 cover, it's this um warrior in white looking uh-huh. very holy um standing over a defeated gargoyle, sort of red-skinned monster with his foot on its chest. It's, you know, it's dead. Yeah. And then there's kind of golden light shining down from above. So, mm-hmm. do you remember what your directives were on on that piece? Pretty much that. I mean, th- that cover was the most direct from Richard's brain to the canvas. Uh he described, you know, the the three elements the guy the 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 gargoyle and the light coming down and that was pretty much it and so i went okay and did that and uh you know chose a low angle so the avatar would look real and you know real impressive towering over the the defeated gargoyle and that was fun that was uh that was one of the first paintings I did for Origin that was done on Herculean drafting film rather than uh, poster board or canvas or anything like that. Herculean drafting film is this translucent film used for drafting. Uh, and uh, it uh, it allows you to... I, I draw, draw a sketch on a piece of paper... Then I tape it to the back of the Herculean drafting film, and the sketch shows through the Herculean drafting film. Then I can paint directly on the on the Herculean because it's got a nice tooth to it, and I paint with acrylics on that, and uh, it's great. I'm not destroying the sketch. Now the the story in Ultima Six has has a big twist to it. Did you know the story and the twist when you painted that picture? Uh. I think I did. I didn't pay that much attention to it. Um, when you're, when you're, when you're do, when you're making the sausage, you don't usually eat it. So when I, when I was doing the, uh, the artwork for the origin games, uh, working for origin, I wasn't really playing them. So I, I never played Ultima six. Now I played Ultima one. I played Ultima three. 
I think I must have played Ultima 2. But when I started, and I played Ultima 4, and that was that was mind-boggling. That was really good. I mean, the whole idea of the uh, the virtues was brilliant. Um, but I think Ultima 4 was the, was the last one I played. I might have played 5, I don't know. But after that, nah, uh, I would... I'd see a lot of the artwork during development and, you know, hear what was going on in the game as you, you know, as you, as you develop it. So there's, so there's no mysteries and it's like, oh yeah, you know. Well, so the, the reason I ask is because I think that this cover plays a really interesting role in the game, Uh which is that it's all part of this sort of con to make you think that, the gargoyles are evil and you're the great hero and you're going to just kill all the gargoyles and save the world. Right. And actually as the game progresses, I mean, sorry, spoiler warning for ultimate six, but, <laughs> but you find out that, that there's been this big cultural misunderstanding and that, and that your goal in the game is actually to um, forge a peace between right. the two hostile factions. And that was completely deliberate. Yeah. But so, so I was wondering if, um, cause, cause I, you know, knowing that, the the picture seems to me to have a kind of like a little bit of like a propaganda poster yes um character to it i was just wondering if that was if that was in your minds at all when you were painting it exactly yeah that was that was absolutely deliberate i'm i'm glad i'm glad you got that cuz that's exactly what i intended <laughs> yeah i mean still one of the the biggest um you know the moments that hit me the hardest in the in in in, in ever playing a, a video game is that toward the end of the game, you know, you're um, you're interacting with the gargoyles and learning about their culture and things. Mm-hmm. And you find space. It's like their Bible. They're like holy book. And it just describes in the game, but it says that their holy book has a gargoyle warrior with his foot on the chest of a slain <laughs> human. Right. It's the inversion of that cover yeah. that you painted. And that just such, that's always just gave me chills, that, that idea that these two societies each had their own narratives and that they were mirror images of each other. Right. Right. Uh, and, you know, uh, I, I think it was, I think I came up with the architecture they had, their weird, uh, slanted walls. Yeah. Yeah. They have kind of like pyramid yeah. buildings. Yeah. Yeah. I think, th- I think, I think I came up with that, you know, to make them, make them different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's super cool. Okay, so a couple more quotes. These are some quotes, uh, again, sure. from Andrea Cantado's book I wanted to ask you about. So one of them, it says, according to Al Nelson, quote, the origin art department owed much to the deep Austin tradition of poster art and album covers, ads, and T-shirt designs in support of the music industry. And it goes on to talk about that. Did, did, is that do, you, um, do you agree with that? Did you feel oh, like? Oh, yeah, yeah. We hired a lot of people from, from Austin, and a lot of those had previously worked in the uh, – in the music industry doing posters and stuff. Uh, we had Michael Priest, famous artist, uh, no longer with us, sadly. Uh, but yeah, we had a host of, of, of artists, uh, that were, you know, signature, uh, artists in the uh, Austin music scene. Were there any uh, particular pieces of art that were produced for origin that you think, you you can see clearly like oh yeah this this owes something to a, a album cover or t-shirt or poster or something like that uh strangely not so much 
Hmm. They were the you know the 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 Ultimas and the games they were working on pretty much had decided on the look that they were going to have and yeah the 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 Austin music scene poster look wouldn't have wouldn't have worked <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun because uh you know I I got to hire some of them cuz I was the you know the first artist working at Origin and so, you know, they, they, I was looking at the portfolios and stuff and we'd have to teach them, okay, here's how you do the art on the computer. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it says in this book that, that origin was really the, the first place or the first big place to take people who were artists and then teach them to use computers rather than taking people who knew computers and trying to teach them to do art. Exactly. Yeah. I figured if they were an artist, they knew what looked good. That's what I was really looking for. Now, if you know what looks good, then you can achieve that with different tools. But if you don't know what looks good, you're never going to be a <laughs> great artist. So, yeah. Yeah, because it also it talks about how Origin was really the first place making games to, to really specialize. And, and um, this person, Jeff George, says... I'm about 99% sure that I was the first person hired as a full-time writer by a computer game company in the world. So this was really innovative, uh -huh. taking these people from different artistic specialties and bringing them together. Yeah. Yeah, there were a lot of, a lot of incredibly creative people. Uh, in the early days, it was like, you know, Origin was like, you know, 12 people. Uh, we, you know, our entire offices were like, one corridor in an office building. And uh, I could keep track of everything that happened. And, uh, but soon Origin, you know, got 300, you know, became a, a, a juggernaut with 300 employees. And there was no way you could keep up with all the different projects going on. There's this story I wanted to ask you about where um, there was one artist apparently who was colorblind. And uh, uh -huh. and and there's, it says like he once completed some nice portraits of what we assumed were aliens until it was shown that he had used the wrong colors. <laughs> Not surprising. Do you remember that happening? Or uh, no, I wasn't directly involved in that. But I heard that he uh, they they uh, uh, gave him a palette to work with and and told him these are the colors. Uh, you know they they and so he basically. They gave him pre-made colors, and he worked with those to create the uh, the the final portraits and stuff. And that's cool because, boy, just you're working by rote. You're going, okay, I want a flesh tone. I have to use this even though it doesn't look like flesh tone to me. That's got to be, yeah, you're trusting the people who gave you the palette <laughs> that you're working with. That's yeah, I guess cool. it says that they all kind of looked like just shades of gray to him. And yeah. so, uh Right. Yeah. I think that's so cool, though, that you could be could be colorblind and still work as a professional artist. So. Yeah. Well, the thing was, I mean, uh, it, that would have been a lot harder in uh, uh, that would have been somewhat harder if it had been, you know, the the modern painting uh, programs today. But in, uh, in back then, you only had like 256 colors to work with. And so you could reserve, ah, this part of that 256 colors are the skin tones. <laughs> and then you could go, okay, I'll just work with that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, no, it, it was definitely, I get the sense of, you know, what, you know, that you were really working with these very strict limitations in the tools. Mm-hmm. And there's this thing about how um, you did this animation sort of rendered scene for Serpent Isle. Oh, yeah. It was, it would have taken like five extra discs to include it. You had to <laughs> yes. It. Yes. It was crazy. Well, first off, you know, when, when I first began, the art tools were so crude that it took, you know, it would take a lot of time to do enough art to satisfy the, uh, the, the needs of the game. But, uh, then the storage medium got to the point where, oh, what, God, what was it? It was like it, it traded off. You know, uh, we got 3D programs that then allowed us to make more art than we could ship. And then you got uh, CDs that then, ah, now even with 3D, we were struggling to fill those up with animations. And so it was like this give and take, you know, the artist, we could either not produce enough or we would produce too much. Well, because I, I, th- I heard you saying, I thought it was so funny that in that scene, it's a, there's a ship and it sails through these big pillars in the ocean. Yeah. And in the version that I grew up with, it's like in the Arctic. And right. You can watch the original and there's all these waves. You yeah. Know, and you said that you actually just had to make it ice so that it wouldn't be moving because right. it would take up less space that way. Yep. So they could compress it. Yeah. Otherwise, they'd have to back up the truck with the disc, you know? It's like... <laughs> I always wondered about that because there is no polar region in the world of Ultima 7, you know, the, the right. horrible game right. world. So then I was like, wait, where where is this exactly? It's all a single biome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to ask you about, so this is another excerpt from the book. It says, um, being new and a little known also due in part to the high cost of the software, 3D Studio did not catch on quickly. One of the first artists to work in this new medium was Dennis Lubay, whose experiments later became the animation of the Guardian's face that emerges from the TV screen in the, inter- mm-hmm. in the introduction of the Black Gate. Could you talk about that? Well, originally I was uh, trying to do work with a program called uh, Lightwave. And I found that to be real difficult because they really separated out the modeling and the texturing and the animation into like completely different programs. And 3D Studio kind of had them a little more coherent, uh, more uh, uh, attached to each other. And so worked with 3D Studio and it worked pretty well. Uh, I do the... uh, Sometimes I'd do the modeling in Lightwave because Lightwave had great modeling tools. And then I would animate those models in 3D Studio. Uh, I'd texture them and animate them in 3D Studio. And, uh, yeah, the gargoyle was interesting. Trying to do lip sync. Back in that day and age was a real challenge. <laughs> uh, well, well- let me just explain for people who haven't played the game. So the you're, you're in the game, you're, you're sitting at your computer, and then the screen sort of turns this weird sort of blue yeah. shifting pattern. And then this red face, like, tries to push through it. And you see sort of, you know, like the tip of the nose and the brow, and then it pulls back and pushes pushes through a few times and then comes through. Yep. And so so you had modeled this, the, the Guardian's 3D face, and then you had some sort of... Yeah, I just like, pushed it through a, a flat surface. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it worked great. 
But uh, And then I animated the thing talking as best I could with as few frames as I could because all those the, they, those were full-screen frames. And it was like, wow, that, that takes a lot of uh, disk space. And so I had very few frames to work with, you know, very few phonemes. <laughs> was it a thing where, um, you know, Richard said to you, we need a guy pushing his face through the screen and you thought, oh, 3D would be good for this? Or were you like doing stuff in 3D and said like, oh, look, here's an effect we could do. And that got worked into the story. Yeah, I said 3D would be good for it, for for animation, because then you don't have to. I, I suppose I could have done it drawing, but man, I was not a uh, traditional animator. And uh, I could animate 3D models a lot easier than than uh, uh, drawing the face a million times. Yeah. I also wanted to ask you about this. So um, it says that um, the story of Serpent Isle, actually, I don't know if you would have been involved in this or not, but it said that the story in Serpent Isle was partially inspired by the Tim Powers novel on Stranger Tides. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I really like Tim Powers. He's one of my favorite authors. And I know that that novel also inspired Secret of Monkey Island. So that's a pretty good wow. track record for cool. for one fantasy novel. But I was just wondering if you had, did you know that? or No, I had. A, First time I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you read like fantasy and science fiction novels or? Oh gosh, or, yes, lots and lots. Yeah. Like, who would be some of your favorite authors? Oh my gosh, uh, well, you know, uh, I I liked my Larry Niven and uh, read a lot of Robert A. Heinlein in the early years and uh, Stephen Baxter, though he's oh, yeah, yeah. he's very much a downer. Greg Egan, <laughs> I, Greg Egan, I like a lot. Um. His his novel Di- Diaspora is is just awesome. Um, but so more like hard science fiction than fantasy. Or? Yeah, more hard science fiction. But uh, I read all the Tolkien, enjoyed the hell out of that. I read all the Conan, I enjoyed the hell out of that. I read uh, a lot of Edgar Rice Burroughs. Um, uh, right now, I'm reading some. Uh, uh, what what people would call uh you know s- second tier author uh uh fantasy novels and stuff so yeah i am having fun <laughs> uh all right let me ask you about this so um you know it, it talks in this book about how richard would have these big uh halloween parties and haunted houses and, oh, and God. stuff like that yes and one of the things it says, um, that event was known as Thunderdome, which was a direct reference to the third film in the Mad Max series. <laughs> After Thunderdome's unintended masses, Richard had to rein it in a bit and above all limit the number of guests. Uh-huh. Were you around? Were you around for that? Were you? Oh, yeah. I was there for all those things. I was usually playing a character in the in the spook houses. Uh, what kind of characters would you play? Well, I came up with a good uh death costume i had a part of a plastic skull and a huge long black robe and i put little leds in the eyes and so and had a big scythe and so yeah i'd 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 be death and i'd i'd use my my death voice where i'd speak on the inhale and it would turn out like this you know and so it was bizarre (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so did anybody ever get really scared by you? Uh, well, little kids, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I'm a tall guy. And so this thing, this, this, uh, the, the black robe and stuff looked pretty impressive at times. So, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, there's also that quote in this book, somebody, um, Stuart Marks saying that, uh, Richard took him spelunking. He, he says, quote, yeah, we're meeting at the <laughs> caves at midnight, wear clothes you want to throw away afterwards. Did you ever go spelunking? I never went spelunking. However, he did talk me out of jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. Oh, wow. And so, yes, I skydived once, and that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty neat. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not as frightening as, at least to me, it wasn't as frightening as I thought it would be because basically the ground is so far away that it doesn't look like a threat. There's no, it's just a background. And so it's like, oh, sure. Okay. I'll I'll let go and fall away from the airplane. Luckily I had an instructor strapped to my back. And so we did this, uh, it, is that called a tandem jumpers? I think, I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I I wouldn't, I'm not an expert. The, the, the main reason I never did it again was well one I didn't felt feel the need to you know I can mark it off my bucket list now but uh the other was that oh my gosh hanging from those straps all it it, it it's all on your groin <laughs> <laughs> it's really painful was that in Austin you did that or did you have to go out somewhere else no nah, it's pretty much in Austin not not the city proper of course but yeah, yeah, yeah. the outskirts of Austin yeah yeah it was cool um, so how, like, talk about, um, kind of what are you up to these days in terms of like, um, the Ultima fan community and, and art and stuff like that? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, keeping up with what the dragon, the Ultima dragons, which are a, uh, uh, the old Ultima fan base, you know, uh, and, uh, uh keeping up with what they're doing and, uh, they've got a lot of, you know, various projects, you know, the Ultima fans have various projects going on doing, uh, doing their own Ultima game, Ultima, Ultima ish games. I have a Patreon that I, uh, that I've done various, uh, pieces of art, uh, for. I did a cover for Ultima seven that never was. Basically, if they hadn't gone for the black cover, uh, I might have done this as the cover. And so I did a painting that that has uh, the the uh, avatar and the uh, and his party uh, looking very morose <laughs> and stuff because you know Ultima Seven started up with that huge murder and everything, and so it was like, yeah, not a not an uplifting game, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh you know a couple of weeks ago i interviewed um mark lemmert who did nox Arcast, and i know that, oh, which yeah. is like an it's like a um an apple II uh, ultima style game. uh-huh and i know you did the cover for, yeah. for his instructions book that was fun so did he just reached out to you and said i'd like you to do this or yeah well i'm 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 the 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 titular artist for uh for ultima for 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 everything Ultima, and so it's like, yeah, people reach out to me when they're doing something that they want that Ultima flavor. 
And more often than not, I'll I'll go, okay, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> well, it seems like you're pretty you're pretty like in the um, Ultimate Dragons Facebook page and stuff. It seems like you're pretty active. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but but right now, uh, uh, right now I have to catch up on bills and debt, and so I'm doing uh, work for a friend of mine who runs a company called uh, Passmore VR. And I'm designing products. Um, like headsets? Or? No. Uh, strangely, they, they don't have that much to do with VR. Uh, I, I design the, I'm designing the outside cases for uh, uh, products. Uh, one is a Pandemicam that's mounted on a wall, and it can... Uh, do a first uh, look at at a person and determine whether they're healthy or not. Uh, it uses it 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 just looks at you with a camera. It determines how pale you are, you know, mm-hmm. your temperature and stuff, and it can it can use its AI to uh, to do a first first pass, you know flag you as this person is not healthy. Yeah. Well, that certainly sounds like that could come in handy. Yeah. So I did a, I did a, 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 a housing for that. And I did a housing for a robot that wanders around buildings and scans the interiors. Uh, I'm doing one for a cart that, that projects onto walls and ceilings. So it's it's bizarre. Uh, it's it's challenging. I'm doing this all in 3D Studio, which is not really a CAD program, but I'm forcing it to be one. And uh, uh, everyone seems happy with what I'm doing. So I'm catching up with bills and debt. <laughs> Still in the process of that. Yeah, that sounds good. I just wanted to ask you about um, how did you get involved with the atheist community in Austin? Because uh, it looks like you've appeared on many, many programs. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I realized I was atheist in uh, in high school when I realized what the definition was, you know. And I went, oh, I fit that definition. Okay, cool. Um, but uh, when I was working at Origin, uh, Jeff D., an artist uh, who had worked a lot for TSR and uh, made his own, uh, designed his own game called Villains and Vigilantes, uh, he came to work for Origin. I hired him, and uh, his wife, Manda, came along, and she worked for Origin. And uh, uh, so he's a, a game designer, an artist game designer, and did a lot of work for did a lot of work for Origin, um, but oh gosh, what was the question again? Uh, Just how did you get involved oh, with the atheist? He he was uh, big in the uh, atheist community, and uh, I basically followed him into the uh, atheist community of Austin, where we did a show called the Nonprofits. So, do you have any uh, like? Memory, like, do, do any moments from from doing the show stick out in your mind? Stick out? Well, uh, not not really that much. I imagine if we had been a call in show, there would have been standout moments. 
but uh, basically we were just, you know, news and, uh, uh, you know, just blathering our own opinions on stuff. <laughs> and that was entertaining, but we did have some guests. I mean, at one point, you know, I was working with uh, Matt Dillahunty on, uh, on the, uh, the, the nonprofits and we had a, an astronomer come in. A uh, professional astronomer who had recently uh, made the news, and uh, yeah, had had an interview with him. It was it was really interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, speaking of Matt Zellhunty, I mean, it looks like you've appeared a bunch of times on his show, The Atheist Experience. And yeah, a few show times. Talk Heathen that you've been on. Yeah, and those are Colin shows, I think. Right? Yes, and those are interesting because I mean, uh, do you want me to actually describe a call? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, because it was like one one person asked, you know, well, why aren't you out doing horrible things if, you know, there's no ultimate punishment? And, you know, I had to respond, well, would you be out doing these horrible things if not for the strictures of your of your God, of your religion? And he said, yes. Now, I, I, I don't believe him, really. Uh, uh, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say I don't, I don't believe you because I think you're just saying that so t- to avoid losing that part of your argument. But the fact that, that a person's willing to paint themselves as a monster to win a debate point is kind of weird. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was a startling uh uh admission, you know, and I went, "Whoa, these Yeah, I'm I'm I I I'm glad I I don't get sucked into these weird beliefs." <laughs> So if I wanted to get involved with the atheist community here in Austin, are there like meetings or, or things? It, I mean, maybe not during the pandemic. Uh, not during the normal. pandemic. But yeah, the atheist community of Austin is the, uh, is the parent organization. And they pretty much uh, are involved in all the different shows uh, that come out of Austin, the, the, the nonprofits, the atheist experience, uh, and all the rest. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, so I think it's, uh, atheist-community.org is, is what you want to go to and that'll have all the info. All right, cool. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Um, cause yeah, I'm definitely, I've been looking for things to do, you know, in Austin, <laughs> you know, like, 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 my, you know, my girlfriend and I, we moved here about a year ago. So we kind of just been locked in our apartment the whole time that we've lived here, but I've been kind of putting together a list of things, um, right. you know, to do once the pandemic uh, or once the you know lockdowns lifted and everything, uh-huh. um, so actually everyone from Austin that I've interviewed, I've asked you know like what should I check out that would be of interest to fantasy and science fiction fans in Austin right. um, you know, yeah. once the pandemic's over. Yeah, the ACA also has a uh, Austin Free Thought Library on uh, on is it twenty two twenty two? Yeah, so. So they have a central building that has like a studio in it and stuff where they shoot their shows. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So yeah, I guess I never thought about where exactly. So all the shows are shot in the same studio. All the well, yeah. Well, they were. 
<laughs> but the, all their equipment is still there and they're still doing, uh, uh, they're, they're still doing a lot of the technical stuff from the, uh, from the building. So that's good. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess I wanted to ask you too, you know, in Ultima 7, there's this group called the Fellowship, which uh-huh. uh, preaches the values of unity, trust, and worthiness. And you sort of see as the game progresses that they're actually kind of a dangerous cult and that those right. values have um, sort of sinister, uh, a sinister side to them. Sure. And I was just wondering if there were any conversations while you were there that, you know, that, that this might help people... Uh, uh, you know, arm themselves mentally against cults or, you know, weird ideas. Oh, people who played, I, played the game. I don't know. I, I, I didn't play the game. So I, uh, so I haven't, I, I never encountered those, how those were presented and how it changed over the course of the game. So I can't really speak to that. And it, it, it wasn't described to me. Okay. <laughs> Well, you should you should play the games there. They're really good. Oh, I'll have to try that. Yeah. That sounds good. And, and terrific, terrific artwork too. Oh, so. thanks. <laughs> uh, I'm not, how much did I do on Ultima Seven? I don't know. <laughs> I'll have to review. Yeah, <laughs> I did a lot of work on the tiles for Ultima Five, and that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so we're pretty much out of time. Uh-huh. So I guess, do you have just any other uh, any other final thoughts or any other projects you're working on that you want to let people know about? Uh, not at the moment. Uh, uh, one story that's good from Origin is when we were working on Wing Commander. There was one moment when we knew it would be a success, and that was when the playtesters fell out of their chairs. I mean, I was working at my uh, at my computer doing some art, and I hear a thump from the playtest room. <laughs> and we go in there, and the guy's picking himself up and turning his chair back up. And basically, he had tried to dodge a ship coming right at him. He had dodged to the side and fallen out of his chair. And we went, oh, and I thought to myself, Holy crap, this is a winner. <laughs> so, Wing Commander, yeah. Well, I heard you telling a story that the astro- you, in Wing Commander, you fly through these asteroid fields, like in Empire Strikes Back. Uh-huh. And you yeah, said yeah. That the, that the asteroids were just rocks from the parking lot yes. that you picked up and drew. Yeah, I, I would hold them at different angles and draw them and then play them, and then they, the programmers would play them in sequence. And, and there's, when you blow up one of the ships, there's a fragment of wing that flies off. And I made that out of swizzle sticks and, uh, car and, uh, note cards <laughs> <laughs> and, and then rotated it and drew it in different angles. And so I guess that's sort of, uh, traditional animation there. So yeah. <laughs> hmm. I actually, because I was looking this up, it was um, the Origin office was at 110 Wild Basin Road. Yes, it right? was at one time at, at 110 Wild Basin Road. Yeah, we didn't have all that much room there. So were, were there uh, other offices that you worked at in Austin? Oh, well, or, or Origin we, we, we went to, uh, we then moved on to, a, to take up an entire office building on, uh, uh, God, uh, 183, uh, just off of 183. 
And that's when we had, you know, that's when Origin was at its height and we had like, you know, 300 people and stuff like that. Yeah, because I, I definitely want to make a little pilgrimage to to all those when I can. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> yeah. I saw there, there's a photo when you were working on um, uh, Savage. Savage Empire? Of old Savage Empire. Yeah. Where that, it's like the whole um, development group is like in this little jungle. Yeah, that that setting. was the Wild Basin location yeah that was cool yeah no i'd love to check that out but yeah uh do you how would i find the other the the one that was off 183 how would i find out the address for that oh man uh i don't know i'd have to go track that down for you <laughs> all right well maybe uh sometime later you can yeah yeah shoot, shoot me an email absolutely because it's just cool it's just cool for me to just go and see see where the magic happens. This is where it, yeah, this is where it happened. These are the <laughs> hallowed halls. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, cool. So why don't we uh, wrap things up there? All right. So we've been speaking with Dennis Lubay, and you should all go check out his artwork over at DennisLubay.com. That's right. So Dennis, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And that was our interview. So big thanks again to Dennis Lubay for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.